Hello, and welcome to Talk Social to Me. I'm your host, Mackenzie Taylor, and today, Ben and I are talking all things Taylor Swift. As most everyone knows, Swift is a marketing machine, and we're talking about what brands can learn from her when it comes to rebranding, launching a new product and service, and how to shift your narrative when it comes to your brand. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Hello, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm great, Mackenzie. How are you? Not too bad. You look like you have a nice sun on your face today? Are you still in Florida? I am, yeah. And it's actually quite sunny today. So we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> has it been like pretty shit weather? Yeah, it has actually been very, very rainy, I would mm. say. So, uh, and, and it's not really been cold. It's just been nasty. So you don't want to be outside anyways. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> How's the weather in the UK? <laughs> today was actually pretty nice. There was, there was sun. It's going down right nice. now and it's 4 p.m. So it's going to get dark very soon. Um, that is the worst thing. I, I, I don't understand. That is the worst part of everything. It sucks. <laughs> of everything. <laughs> of everything. Not like I'm usually pretty like fine with the winter, but for some reason this year has been like hitting me harder. Like for some reason it just feels like darker, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. But I mean, the sun sets at four and it, then it, the sunrise doesn't come up until eight in the morning. So it's just, you don't get that natural sunshine. Yeah. Like Andrew Huberman says, I don't get that natural sunshine in my eyeballs at the first time I wake up. Yeah, the the first morning light or whatever. Yeah. I try to get that whenever possible, but that would make it a lot more difficult. Yeah, exactly. But I do have those Lumi lights. Have, have you heard of those? I have. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that helpful? I do. Like I, I thought they were like a load of marketing bullshit. And I was like, nah, it's not going <laughs> to be helpful. I put it on at 6.15 in the morning and it like does like a okay. gradual like sunshine in the room and it actually brightens up the entire room and it does naturally wake me up. That's pretty sweet though. So though that's what you use instead of an alarm. Yeah. That's sweet. Well, there you go. For- yeah. Free free promo for your Lumi. Yeah, free promo. <laughs> free advertising. There you go, Lumi. But that's me. Uh, <laughs> I'm always big into anything sleep-related because I'm really, I, I've historically struggled with that. But I'll have to check that out too because that seems like a nice way to wake up. Are you like a person that's like light sleeper where you hear noise or are you, is it something where like if a light gets into your room, you automatically wake up? So neither of those. Once I'm asleep, I have no problem. It's the getting to sleep. Ah, that's like my only issue. Yeah. I'm the opposite where I can fall asleep immediately. Like my boyfriend right. gets so annoyed with me because we'll be watching a movie and then he'll just be like You're poking out. me because I'm done. But I cannot stay asleep. So I'll get like a solid three hours. And then if I hear something outside, I'm immediately awake. Mm. And then it takes me yes. forever to fall back asleep again. Yes, yeah, so I think we're the opposite. So we got to. Give each other tips for uh, even it out. The opposite. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So this is an episode that both of us have been kind of like, I don't know, skirting around for a while because neither of us we will not say that we're not fans of her because we won't say that because we don't want anybody coming after us. But we don't know her as well as a lot of people know her. So we've been doing our research recently, but we're gonna be talking about Taylor Swift today. And we're gonna be talking about just the overall marketing around Taylor Swift because it's very fascinating what she's been doing throughout the years. And we think that there's a lot of brands out there that can learn from some of the stuff that she's done to actually put towards their own marketing and branding strategy. But before we get all into that, do you have a Flix tip? Mm. Mm. Flix tip. It's been a while. 
It has. It has. Well, you still got it. Just in case you were wondering, you still got it. But this tip today is what I call the flywheel. And it's basically, it's, if you're familiar with the flywheel concept, it's something that takes a lot of energy to get moving. But once it does, it's self-sustaining and it helps you achieve what you want uh, to keep it moving without additional work. And I think that's going to be a big trend teaser. So in a, in a video <laughs> on coming to YouTube very soon, we have our trends for 2024. And that's one of the ones that I included was the flywheel effect. So with everything becoming very siloed in terms of what people want on different platforms, I strongly believe that creators and brands that double down or give exclusive resources to one platform to own that are going to do so well that they can then bring that flywheel effect to other platforms. And if you look at creators that have had unparalleled levels of success, they've done this. Like Mr. Beast, yes, he can dominate on TikTok, but why can he dominate on TikTok? Because he dominated on YouTube first. Yeah. And the same with like a lot of a lot of other YouTubers and other creators. If you, you you focus on one platform, you dominate there, you understand all the nuance, and then you use that once you've gotten to that place to then bring that over to other platforms. Because if people try to go on five places at once, the likelihood of you breaking through is so slim. So I think the yeah. flywheel will have a, a big impact in this year. And I think you should think about it too. That's a really good point because I feel like there's a lot of people right now who are trying to do too many things on too many different platforms and it doesn't feel very concise and they don't seem to be owning one specific area. And people can feel it too. If you look at the yeah. people who are blowing up, oftentimes it's because they've committed to the flywheel so hard that their community, much like we're going to talk about today, is their driving force for growth everywhere else. Yeah. Like this one guy who's blowing up in the gym niche, his name's Sam Sulik, I think it is. And he just focused on posting on YouTube every single day, dominating on YouTube. And now he's huge everywhere. everywhere. And he barely creates yeah. any content for any other platform just because they they love him so much from, from doing that. So I do think there's a lot of value there because people can feel it when you're really focusing on one thing rather than when it's a watered down version of something else. Yeah, absolutely. There's a girl that I really like on TikTok called Condiment Claire, and she just does basically shows people how she makes different condiments and it's mm -hmm. like very kitschy, but she grew a huge following on there. And then now people will be like, well, now I follow her on Instagram because I was just like, well, I want to know more about her life because I like her so much on TikTok. So I can definitely see that happening. 100%. One marketing nerdy thing that, that really helps with that is that you get the burden of social proof without having it on that platform because yeah. you're, you're lending the social proof from a different platform to grow on the other ones. Whereas if you don't have that anywhere, it becomes so much harder to get people to want to follow you. Whereas that gets trumped when um, you have that huge audience going somewhere else. Yeah, love that. All right, so should we talk a little bit about Taylor Swift? T-Swift. Yeah, so T-Swift is one of the most fascinating marketing examples in our, of our time. And there's a lot that she did that a lot of people aren't even aware about. So I'm sure you've done a ton of research. So I want to hear what you found first. I think I'll start a little bit with just like my general knowledge of like how I kind of got introduced to her because I feel like that's really the start of her marketing. So I was big time Tumblr girly back in the day. And I had friends who really liked Taylor Swift back in high school, but I never listened to her. I wasn't into the country music scene when she was originally starting. She was country music. But I kept seeing her post on Tumblr. And it would just be like little things here and there, little things that she had written, pictures, things like that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I've, I don't really follow this girl, but there's people I follow on Tumblr that are reposting her stuff. And she grew such a large following on Tumblr and really became connected to her fans on there that I feel like that was the start of her building her community. 
And I, I just had never seen a singer out there or like a celebrity out there who was closer to my age and who was doing something like this. And I think now we're seeing that a lot more because obviously content creators or singers and musicians and actors, all these people know that you have to be on social media and you have to be like constantly communicating to your audience. But I feel like she was one of the original people to start doing that. 100%. I think she got the early movers advantage. I think that it shows that timing is very, very important in terms of taking advantage of whenever you can get in the market to figure it out. And then like compounding that into bigger and bigger things. And she did that super, super well. I actually read this book that like years ago, we've talked about it on the show a bunch of time called, it was either 1 million followers or the hook formula. I forget. It's by Brendan Kane, but he actually had previously worked with Taylor Swift directly to build oh, wow. out her, her website. Like he focused on all of these different principles for really making it as personal as possible. And he goes in depth about how detailed she was in the understanding of exactly who she was trying to speak to. Mm-hmm. And so she achieved the the one-to-one feeling at a one-to-many avenue. I think that is the true brilliance of her marketing is that everyone feels like they're talking to her because yeah. they, or, or him, whoever is the Swifty. <laughs> and th- that's really, really powerful. And I think that's proven by how cult-like her audience is. Yeah, absolutely. So like when she was first getting started and how she was directly doing her social media marketing, she was talking to people her own age. So she kind of knew who she was talking to because she was the per- like the same, it's somebody like her. She was talking to mm. herself essentially. Exactly. And then from there, it was like she always kind of was doing her own social listening. And mm. so she was always like probably... I, I don't know her myself, but from things that we've seen on social media and just kind of how she uses social media in general, you know that she's always constantly Googling herself. She's constantly searching her name, using keywords on her albums or just general people around her. So she's always in the know of what's being said about her. And this, I think, is a huge thing that brands should pay attention to. Because you need to know social listening. You need to know what people are thinking about you. You need to know what people are thinking about your competition. You need to know all of these different avenues about your brand and your audience. Because once you have that and once you start knowing like what people are wanting and what people are kind of disappointed by, then you can start tweaking your strategy and tweaking your marketing to actually fill those holes or bring those people in that you might have lost. 100%. You perfectly segued into my the next point that I had was <laughs> through doing that, you get such a deep understanding of what's there. But more importantly, you get an understanding of what's missing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what she did so well is she saw that all of the other people that were trying to attract these people, they weren't giving them authenticity. They weren't giving them something they yes. could re- relate to. It was yes. pure aspirational. And so she saw a massive golden opportunity to be like, okay, well, I'll be that point of relatability. And we've now seen how when technology has moved for that kind of desire she meshed it with it perfectly and doubled down. And that's why she has this massive, massive audience. So the lesson there is just because it's not there doesn't mean it's not wanted. And so when you really conduct a deep level of social listening, you might be able to find that diamond in the rough that is something that hasn't been touched by anyone else. And that could bring you disproportionate levels of success like it did Taylor. Yeah. And also we totally understand like people do have such a parasocial relationship with her because she's brought them in so much or people feel like she's brought them in so much because obviously you have to, and I'm sorry, Swifties, like 
there is a point where she does have a wall up. She's bringing you, she's only showing you so much. She's only allowing yeah. you in so much. She's not giving you everything. And so because she's allowing them just a little peek through the looking glass, so to speak, it's giving people that relationship that they think that they know her and they think that they know everything about her when they don't. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a curated experience, but it doesn't feel that way. And I think that's that's one of the brilliant aspects of it too, is that people don't feel like it is held back. But of course, she's holding back elements of her life, but she's making it seem as if she's not. And one other point that I saw that she does, that she, she probably does less of this now because she is so big. But earlier in her career, like I said, like five, six, seven years ago, she used to do a whole lot of things that didn't scale and she tried to make them scalable. So essentially she would reply to people's tweets or getting invited to a wedding to like perform. Yes. She would actually go yeah. occasionally. And so then that, that just reinforces this whole like relatability. Oh, she is like us. Or there's that opportunity that she might actually like come to my show if I ask her. So we, are, we actually are friends and that really creates something highly scalable from something that doesn't scale. And so that's hard to quantify in terms of like a true return on the investment of that time. But the goodwill is so valuable. And that's why there's so many people that will ride or die for her because they can say now, she did this. How many other celebrities have done this? And what is that worth? I would argue that's worth billions of dollars when there's someone who is that popular. Absolutely. I remember there was, gosh, I can't remember. I don't know what album it was. It was a while ago where and it was when she was still on Tumblr and she actually invited people to her home in Nashville to do a listening album. And she had people in her room, like in her living room, listening to her album with her and asking questions. And just that experience alone and being able to like be part of that and be like, well, I was there. What other it's celebrity crazy. has done that? That's huge. Like she listens to her fans. She always sees what they're saying and she really pays attention to what they want from her. And she gives them that. Yeah, it's it's a feeling too. And I think she really has mastered that where people do get a strong feeling because like, who else does that? I can't even really think of people who have offered anything like that. And it seems like she's she's done a lot of these things. And maybe that's mm -hmm. exactly it, where she's done it so strategically, where it feels like she's done more than she even has. Because yeah. it's still, yeah, like this stuff pops up seem, seemingly all the time. Yeah, I, read, I will say, I, this was, gosh, 2013, I was invited to a listening party with Childish Gambino. Okay. And, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. And so it was like on a rooftop over in shoreditch in london and so there was like he just tweeted it out he was just like hey this is where i'm going to be like if you guys want to show up and it wasn't when it was when he wasn't very big in london so there was okay. only like 50 people there but i was one of the 50 and i was like this is so cool i've never seen this before and you know what that's made me a fan for life it does have that kind of impact and if you get enough people going you can really you can really get into the general pulse of society and i think that's yeah. what that's what swifty has has achieved there because it's in my research, I was listening to this Michigan marketing professor talk about it, and he had a, a solid point where he said that, yes, Taylor Swift is influential, but she's only influential because her like immediate zone of influence is so large. And so because yes. she can talk to these people so quickly, it's it's the Swifties that are the power. And she is just simply able to communicate to the Swifties quickly and then they do the rest. And so that's where the, the true yeah. power is, is in that herd. And this kind of kind of ties into something that happened earlier this year with like Barbie, the movie Barbie mm -hmm. that became so massive because for a long time, a lot of moviegoers who were women didn't feel like there was a movie for, strictly for them. 
And that's obviously a huge market of people that you're not talking to and you're not listening to. And so Barbie became such a massive thing because we were finally marketing to a large group of people that felt like they weren't being heard for a long time. And I feel like Taylor Swift does that as well. She's markets to a huge audience of like Gen A, Gen Z, millennials, like all these different generations. And she really speaks to them and speaks to how they want to be spoken to. Yeah, she gets it. She's done the time. And it's helpful when it is you're speaking to a former version of yourself. So then you need to have a decent understanding of who you were and the problems you had then. So that definitely helps. I'm sure she's doing a great degree of that. But there's so much power in in, in that, right? In having a deep understanding of exactly who it is you're speaking to. And I think a lot of brands and creators that that don't break through, it's because they don't have that stuff figured out. Like they don't get yeah. who they're trying to speak to. So obviously the message isn't going to connect. It's like you're speaking two different languages and then wondering why the guy who speaks Spanish across from you doesn't understand your English. It's like, yeah, they're speaking a different language. Absolutely. Well, you just touched on something that I think is really important with her marketing is storytelling. She is one of... I don't know, like our generation's biggest, best storytellers, whoever you're talking to, and they're going to say that she's the best, but she knows how to tell a story. She masters storytelling in her songs and her overall marketing for herself. And I think that a lot of brands miss that when they're talking about their own marketing strategy, because storytelling is so important. So how are you getting people invested in your brand? Why should people care about your brand? Tell them a story, bring them in, get them interested in wanting to buy your product or service, because that's going to be the thing. People love a story. Like that's what sells. Yeah. 100% we live, breathe and buy through stories. I also think that a lot of people get very lazy or one-track minded based on their product or service where they think we can't tell a story here. There's always a story to be told. It may take a little more creativity, but some of the things that pop the most are unconventional things that there isn't an obvious story there. And that's why people appreciated so, it so much. So yes, it may be yeah. more effort, maybe less obvious, but you'll be shocked by what can compel people. Go look around at some of the unorthodox things on TikTok or YouTube that have blown up. And I guarantee you that if they had to pitch that idea to someone, they would have said, that's a stupid idea. Don't do that. But then it has millions or billions of views. And I do also think that context matters too, right? Like we're giving these lessons to pull away the lesson, not not necessarily the specific performance metric. Because like, obviously we're not going to create billion fan networks, but the principles could help you make maybe your your first hundred true fans that could have a massive impact on your brand or business. And then that could snowball from there. So I think that expectations matters and context, but the lessons reign true regardless of what you're doing, who you're selling to, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. What is another thing that you learned on your research this week? So I'm, I touched on this about how Brendan Kane worked on their website. So what they did is she saw, you touched on this too, how she was early on social platforms and saw how that's where her audience was really connecting with everyone. And so mm-hmm. she approached Brendan's company to build a platform that would inspire, engage, and empower her most loyal fans. And so the solution that he came up with with was a platform that turned any Facebook page into a Taylor Swift fan site automatically by pulling the fans profile data through the Facebook API and embedding it into an impressive, fully customizable Taylor Nation fan site. So any Taylor Taylor fan could quickly turn their Facebook page into a Taylor-themed site by using a, a tool that makes it incredibly easy. And so then that really helps to make their their biggest 
So the term that Seth Godin uses is sneezers. And so they're the people who <laughs> get the, get infected first and then sneeze it into the people in their immediate community. Yeah. That basically gives them a huge tool to spread the message or sneeze very easily in a, in a very collaborative way. So I'm sure that cost a ton of money, but it, it resulted in 30,000 sites being built in a few short weeks and a ton of engagement from her core fans. And this was, this was years ago. 30,000. This, this was years ago. Wow. Like this was, if I had to guess a time frame, I'm thinking this is like early, like mid 2000s. Wow. I can't even imagine like 30,000 for Facebook. That's huge for like when she was first getting started, especially I remember, God, it was like a Tim McGraw song. That's the only song that I really knew of hers back, like when all my friends were obsessed with mm -hmm. her. And I remember that it felt like out of nowhere, everybody was on the Taylor Swift train. It did have that feeling. Yeah. And I do remember friends of mine who had like Taylor Nation on their Facebook. So that's really interesting that that's because of a marketing company coming in and kind of working with her on her social strategy. Yeah. yeah and it just comes back to the recurring point here of understanding who you're trying to speak to, where they hang out the things that they would want and they value and and giving them tools to actually spread your message without them even really realizing it and honestly wanting to do it. Like those those people are probably fired up that they got to do that even though they were a marketing vehicle for Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. Something that I found really fascinating this week is I think it was like a tweet or it was an Instagram post by Jack Antonoff, which is um, Taylor Swift's producer. They released a new song and in the photo of Taylor, there was a wine bottle okay. in the background. And now that bottle of wine is sold out everywhere. It is probably, you can't find it at all. And it was called Gaslighter Wine. And because of her fans, like zooming in on the photo and like wondering what she's drinking, it's not like sold out within 24 hours of that photo being posted. Wow. That is wild. <laughs> I'm just like... <laughs> Her whole brand is just so fascinating to me. Just like how quickly people pick up on stuff and how pe quickly people just like want to have some type of access to her. And so we're going to buy the wine that she's buying or we're going to support her possible boyfriend. I'm still not sure if they're actually dating, but we're going to support him by selling out the jerseys that he has and like all these different things. And the the community that she's built and basically her very, very loyal fan base that she's built, it is so interesting to see that trajectory over the years. Without a doubt. I think they're doing this, yes, because they want to be close to Taylor, but I think they also know that doing this will get them praised within the Taylor Swift community. And I think that that's almost equally mm. as valuable to them where they know they'll get praised. And like, I see this all the time. Like Oftentimes when you see someone doing something nice or mean, Oftentimes, it's done to elevate their status in their assigned groups, whether it be their friends or in this case, the Swifties. And so they're purposely doing these things, yes, for Taylor, but really, it's it's for them because they know if I do this, yeah. I, I raise my status within the Swifties, I get positive reinforcement. And this happens all the time across social. So if you can build these communities where then creates these byproduct positive reinforcement loops, people will work and do crazy amounts of work for free to try to get these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. Kind of going, tying into that a little bit is we'll talk more about her fans. So obviously the Eras tour was this year. It was probably the most hyped tour of all time. And probably I think it was 
the one that got the most money this year. It's either that or Beyonce's. Yeah. Um, But one of the biggest reasons why I think that it went so massive on social media is because how personalized the fan engagement Mm. was. And they had like the friendship bracelets going. There was all the hype around it on social media. And I think she's really good at figuring out exactly what her fans are wanting from her when it comes to building hype. So she's really good about selling limited edition vinyls. So making sure that people can get very specific vinyls. Yeah, she's really great at that, like creating little things that make it a deeper experience. Yeah, so she did like social media teases. She did little cryptic clues so people could figure things out. She had really interactive fan experiences. So she's wants those fans to come in and feel like they're part of a community. Yes. And I know we keep banging on about community, but... Yeah, she feeds the lore. Like she gets that and she gets that people are looking for these things. So she constantly gives them little things to to guess about, to theorize about, and also keeping them involved with the Swifties, right? So much like I just said before, how people want to have a good status within this group they've aligned themselves with. These are the kind of things that give them opportunities to get that. So she's creating the environment where that can happen, right? Because if someone cracks the code and guesses her next album correctly, they're now like a top Swifty. And so then they're like, oh, wow, I got to come back and do this. And other people see this as well and think, okay, well, I got to try that next time. And so you're just building up more and more of this herd mentality of being like, we we ride or die for this girl. But riding, riding or dying mm-hmm. for this girl is helping me out at the same time. Yeah. And it's the anticipation of it. It's like the hype around it. Like what you were talking about with the clues, just like even the little Easter eggs that she does. She likes to, the number 13, she puts that all over her marketing. She puts little clues in her song titles. She posts little things on her Instagram story to have people guess, well, she's she's wearing this color and it's tied to this album and she says the number five. So we must be getting this song right now. And it's just how intense they are and like how locked in they are on the clues or maybe not even clues that she's giving. It's so interesting. And it's because she's built, like you said, she's built that lore around herself and she's built up that hype and she's built up that community where they're talking to each other and they're building themselves up around that. Yeah. And there's so much deliberate and thought but an intention behind all these decisions and so when you when you zoom out far enough with a deep understanding of the people that you're talking to you can be really creative and and really plant seeds that will pay off later and she's done this brilliantly with how thoughtful she is with her marketing and how she's constantly obsessed with her core people and that's a a massive lesson there too is that the people they want to try to serve everyone and so through trying to appeal to everyone you appeal to no one Whereas if you appeal to decision makers or influential people, you don't need to reach that many people to eventually reach a ton. And then she got that completely. She got this following because she obsessed over one group of people and made things for them. Mm -hmm. And that's like, that's true marketing brilliance in my mind, because a lot of people don't have the patience to do that because they don't think they don't, they don't see the compounding effect of what these kind of things can do from a social standpoint. And she's living, breathing proof where if you could track it all the way back, it feels like she's just always been here. But no, this has been very deliberate and very intentional. Yeah. I have one more thing to kind of highlight from my list of things that I've been researching. And that is how well she rebranded herself. So obviously she went from country singer to pop singer and that happened with the 1989 album. But 
I'm not talking about that transition or that rebrand. What I'm talking about specifically is when she was called out about maybe being Republican when Trump was getting nominated for president. So she got called out a lot on social media and she never said anything. She never came forward about who she was voting for. She's never really come out about her opinions, whether she falls to the left or to the right. And I don't think that's anybody's business, to be honest. But people were calling her out and they were saying that she should she needs to come forward if she's claims that she's a feminist. She needs to come forward and say what she believes in. And I think with her releasing her Apple documentary um, where she sat down and you could see everybody in the room who was making decisions for her. Mm. So essentially to me as a viewer, it looked like she was putting the blame on other people putting the blame on, oh, well, I'm being blocked. I can't speak out because I have to think about my brand as a whole. And this could really screw me because a lot of my fans are on the right side. And the way I believe is on the left. And so I feel like she did a really deliberate job of not putting the blame on herself and then rebranding and like being able to be very vocal about quote unquote vocal about what she believes in now. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, she's got such positive goodwill with her fan bases is they'd believe anything, any picture she paints, they'll buy it or believe it. So there probably was a degree of that and the positive impact, like it's very difficult to quantify that, but I'm sure that'd be pretty easy for her to achieve. And so I just found that a really interesting rebrand where she, in the past, never spoke about it. But now she's become more and more vocal about her stance, about who she's voting for in politics, all that kind of thing, which I think is really fascinating. And I think that's really hard for a lot of brands to do, is towing that line of not being, not deliberately wanting to remove a a huge segment of your audience and kind of ostracize them because you're making a stance that's different than I think that's something that's having like it is hard to do but I think more and more people are kind of demanding it in in certain realms of media and certain types of creators I think that if you don't align with the right people you don't align with anyone and so I think again her being early on things and and detecting that that was important and that's something that was culturally demanded yeah that she executed it yeah so I think if any brand is kind of hesitant about whether they should speak out. I think they should kind of look at her marketing strategy towards it. Obviously, you can't really blame other people for not speaking out, but there was a lot there that she did in the buildup of making a stance and putting her foot down on things. Yeah, she seems to be able to really navigate things pretty well, but it, it's, it becomes easier when you have a diehard fan base that you know will ride with you. But it, it is a, yeah, she, she's a great case study for a lot of things that you can can take from and try to transfer it back to whatever you're doing. Absolutely. Do you have anything else that you'd like to highlight? No, those were all of my notes. I think just in general, one thing I would try to underline is that there's lessons to be learned regardless of how similar or dissimilar your situation is to a, a success story, right? Like if you go back far enough, there's going to be something you can learn from. And nothing just nothing just yeah. happens. Like there's always a, a trail that's left, and usually you can get some pretty sweet nuggets that other people overlook because they just obsess over the current situation rather than the path to get there. Absolutely, I do want to highlight this just because I found it a really interesting 
little tidbit and yeah. fact. So kind of like Taylor Swift era marketing ads numbers. So this is on Marketing Dive. So this is where I'm getting the stats here. So after her rumored relationship with the Kansas City chief tight end, Travis Kelsey, it raised the profile of advertising campaigns in which he was significantly featured. So he he was featured in two Campbell Soup ads, and that drove 287% more engagement in those ads because he was specifically in them. 287%. 287%. And that's that's why I felt like a lot of this was executed by some bigger power because like everyone's just eaten. You, you know what I mean? And, and I saw yeah. actually yeah. at a friend's giving that I was at, there was it was mostly girls. And I, it's so funny how everyone thinks their situation is everyone's situation. This was very fascinating because so I'm in the <laughs> South. So a lot of girls here do like football. But I said, I tried trying to explain to them, like across the country, it's not all like that. Like there are a lot of states where girls don't care about football whatsoever. It's not part of the culture. And so I just said, I was like, this kind of seems planned because this is the perfect environment to get girls to care about football. And they're they're looking at me like, we love football. I said, oh my God. Everyone thinks you're always talking about them. It's like, oh my God. No, I'm not talking about you. And you also don't know the numbers here. So I was like, I I just said, oh, well, have you looked into like fan bases across the board? There's a lot of, there's a the opportunity for growth for both of these parties, let's say the NFL and Taylor Swift, they're, they're the other person's fan bases. Like they were the two biggest audiences yeah. in, I would say North America that didn't have that much overlap. And so for them to collaborate yeah. is the perfect thing. It almost seems too perfect that it's not planned. Like there's too many people making too many millions yeah. for this to have no involvement here. And also the fact that there's so many, like I listened to a sports podcast um, by the ringer and the amount of, people on the sports podcast talking about Taylor Swift now that are just like, well, she's there again. And I was just like, you would have never talked about this before. See, and he, like you would have never talked about Taylor Swift. And people don't go below the surface, right? So these girls, their argument was, why would Taylor Swift care to do this? She isn't standing to gain anything. She's already so famous. I was like, that's horrible. There's always so much to gain because you're not thinking about it holistically. Yes, Dad may not go to the concerts, but now that dad knows about her, he's now way more enthusiastic about daughter being a fan. And also when he goes to buy gifts for Christmas now, who's he going to buy? He's going to buy her Taylor Swift tickets because he knows what she is. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, yep. we're not trying, we yep. we're not trying to get dad. We're trying to get dad aware of the fact that this fandom exists. Yes, absolutely. And that, I mean, we already know what the NFL gained all of Taylor Swift fans. Yeah. The, I mean, I've dated girls before where uh, their friends and stuff would never even talk about football. And then I see them posting stories of it now. And I'm like, hey, that was the Taylor Swift effect. Yeah. I, I tried. I, I couldn't achieve it. You know what I mean? But, but Taylor Swift did. You just needed Taylor to come yeah, in. But that's, again, that's a prime example of understanding your market. Understanding that, okay, if you're trying to go after women, like what, what do they typically resonate with? Like look at the media that they love. It's, it's the story. It's the connection. And that's yeah. one thing that I say that they've done really bad at. And so this was a great way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So I just thought that was really fascinating. I, I'm i going to keep looking at the numbers just because I think they're the status of those two as a couple, like they're the ultimate power couple right now. Just watching that and just the marketing around it is just going to be chef's kiss. So this is, a, this is a spicy question, but I'm going to pose it to you. Oh, okay. Bring it. In your opinion, do you think this is a staged relationship or did it start that way? Do you think? Yes. I think it probably started that way for sure. I think that they probably do get on and it does look like they have like a lot of fun. So maybe right now it's definitely leaned into more of 
them dating. But there's just too many people talking about how they're going to be like probably engaged by next year, like early next year and like all these different steps. And there's going to be Swifties out there that are going to be like, well, you don't know her well enough. I don't. But when she was in past relationships, she was always not in front of the Mm. cameras and she was really good about hiding herself away. So that felt more like an authentic relationship to me because why do you want to be in the public eye when you're like with your person? She's so in front of the cameras right now. Oh, it's mental. And and I actually have a friend in LA who was telling me that there is a certain restaurant that celebrities go to when they don't want to get papped. Like there's never paparazzi there. You like you go to this restaurant so you're not seen. And she was there and she they think because again, paparazzi are never there. Paparazzi showed up. And they think it's because she called to the come. paparazzi and herself. Yeah, because they were there together. Mm. So I feel like some of it is just too marketing heavy. I don't know about it now, but I think definitely at the beginning, it was a straight, just straight PR relationship. I have to agree with you. And there, there are a lot of relationships that start just because it's beneficial either mutually or for one party or even sometimes for external parties. And it ends up working out like that does happen every single day. Yeah. So I'm not saying now that they hate each other or anything of the sort, but there's some of those things where when there's smoke, there's fire. And this was just too perfect. If you understand the goals of all the parties involved, it's just like, you couldn't make this stuff up. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's so perfect. So it's like, it's gotta be made up, but I'm sure now they love each other, all that stuff, but there was just so much that seemed so executed. And maybe that's just the universe falling in line for them. And maybe I'm a skeptic, (laughs) but it just like, I work in marketing. So I think we're both skeptics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I get it. (laughs) Absolutely. So I have a flick feature today that I'm really excited about. Her name is Grace Andrews on Instagram. She is at the dot social climber. She is the marketing director for the diary of a CEO. Mm, so Steven yeah, yeah. from the diary of a CEO. And she has some of the best tidbits and advice and just like tips and tricks about social media on and marketing in general on her Instagram account. And I have become such a massive fangirl of her. I'm trying to get her on the podcast. Please, please, please come on the podcast, please, Grace. But Again, she's just she's done so well with the Diary of a CEO's marketing strategy. I think they became one of the top podcasts on Spotify sure. like globally. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting way that she's worked towards her marketing. And I just think she's a powerhouse. So I think everybody should go follow her. What's her handle? It is at the dot social climber. Cool. Yeah, go give her a follow. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, this episode today. We enjoyed obviously researching Taylor Swift and getting to know everything about her as people who don't really know anything about her besides her marketing. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review as it helps other people find us. Um, And also just, you know, we'll love you forever if you did that. You can also find us on Instagram at flick.social, on TikTok at flick.social. You can find Ben on YouTube. What have you been doing over on YouTube, Ben? A lot of fun stuff. We've got a uh, few sweet videos coming out very, very soon that I strongly recommend you checking out. One of which we teased in this episode, which was the trends coming to social in the very near future. So that should drop either this week or next. So make sure you're subscribed with the bell notification on so you don't miss that. Absolutely. 
And we will catch you all next, or actually two weeks from now. (laughs) See you soon, guys. (laughs) All right. Bye.